you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 6, we're going to hear it again. We're going to hear it again. And, and uh, as I go through this passage, my wife always asks me, you know, what are you preaching on this week? And I said, same thing I've been preaching about the last two, three months. It's a passage almost exactly like the other ones. And when I say that, I'm going, oh, no, how am I going to say something new? And as I sit, share that with you, you're going, oh, I'm tired of hearing it. I'm tired of hearing it. I'm, I'm sick of hearing it. Um, I think about uh, children, and uh, your, your children would never say this. Your children would never say this to you. Uh, you've talked to them about a particular sin or thing they're doing wrong. You're correcting them because it's important to correct your kids because if you don't correct them, who will? And so you tell them for the thousandth, millionth time something, and they look back with you with this pained look on their face, and they say, Dad, I'm so sick of you saying that to me. And as a parent, they say, well, I'm sick of telling you. And if you had finally learned this, if you had finally learned this, we could move on to other things. I look at this passage and really the whole book of Ecclesiastes, and there's other passages just like the book of Ecclesiastes throughout the whole Bible. And I, I want to say in my own heart, uh, haven't we learned this before, God? Haven't, can we move on? And I think not with the impatience that I have with my children. Our father would say, oh, we're going to talk about this again. We're going to talk about this again. Because it's important for you to get it. It's important for you to get it. And not just for you to get it, but for you to realize that the world is telling you a different message all the time. And you need to be drawn away from a world that's perishing and have my thoughts to guide you in all uh, that goes on, in all the days that we get to live. We're going to look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 6. I'd like to read it uh, for you and to you. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you the first nine verses. God's word says this, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom is... uh, to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his, uh, of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity, and it goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun, or has known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, Do not all go to one place? All the toil of a man's mouth, yet appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has a wise man over a fool? And what what does the the poor man who knows how to conduct himself before the living? 
Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of appetite. This also is vanity and striving after wind. God, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would um, continue to impress upon us this incredible, important message for us. Uh, that all the, the possessions of this world, all the accomplishments we can have, all the things that uh, we can accumulate cannot compare to your blessing. Cannot compare to you. God, help us to embrace that this morning. Be reminded of it. That do your work in your church. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. He starts off in verse 1 and he gives us the great intro, the ugly truth. He says, uh, once again, and he's used this word evil over and over again. He says, there is an evil I have seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. The idea of laying heavy is the it's a huge burden. It's a huge burden. It causes the world to be shaped in a certain way and us in the world to be shaped a certain way. What he's going to talk about right now, he's already talked about, but he's reiterating, he's coming back to this important truth that shapes the world. And be careful. Uh, this is life under the sun he's referring to. This is just the simple life of, that everyone can have, those who are here, those who are out there, those who live in a different part of the world that we may never know, those who have been exposed to the Scripture, those who have not been exposed to the Scripture. This is what we're stuck with under the sun. And he says uh, it's evil to his own heart. It's the ugly truth. As he considers this evil, uh, he says it lays heavy on mankind and chances are this morning as I go through this it lays heavy on our country on our political structure on our heroes on LeBron James uh, on your distant family members and your close family members and the people that live in your home with you and you. This is what presses upon us. This is a, a temptation, a thought that will shape us. And as he goes through this, he's saying, once again, I've been a witness to this. And uh, we assume this man, probably Solomon, to be much greater than I, we are, right? This is not someone who's common like we are. But I bet you, if we went around the room here this morning, we could say, I, I give testimony to have seen this as well in my life and in the lives of the ones I love and the lives of people I've watched my whole life. So we start in verse 2, and uh, we find the first point is wealth without God. Wealth without God. He says, he, he pictures a man, a, a man to whom God gives wealth, possession, and honor. I want to start out by saying this. He says that God gives wealth, possession, and honor. And this is a great struggle for us. Great struggle. Uh, we, we look at leaders 
uh, throughout the world. They've been granted honor. We, we see people that are respected, and yet we don't respect them. We know them to be ungodly. We see this in their life, and we say, how did they get there? They must have got there themselves, and yet somehow, some way, it was part of God's intention and plan. Know this, that in the Old Testament, uh, He took wicked nations, wicked rulers, and brought them up even to discipline His own people. So know this, that God's plan is coming about, and He is the one that grants honor. But know this as well, that wealth and possessions... If somebody has them, it is God that has brought them these, this wealth and possessions, this honor. It says that God is the giver of all that is good. As we look at this, um, he, he says that they, they lack nothing. And, and we can picture this. We probably don't know as many people as we know of people like this. We hear of wealth and we hear of the, the amount of wealth that others have, the, the 1% or whatever we want to call it, and, and it blows our minds. Uh, we, you know, have you ever, you know, as you're watching sports and they're talking, I always love listening to sports because they're so out of touch with reality. I, I, you know, listen to sports radio and they're talking about a particular player and they say, yeah, he's not that good. Uh, he's a good like third, fourth, fifth player on the team, you know, and I think they could get him at a relatively cheap price of just 12 million a year. And, and you start going 12 million a year. How many of years would it take me to get to 12 million a year at my present salary? Don't do it. It'll discourage you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> to be the third or fourth, fifth best person at your work, you know. Uh, some of you uh, don't even have that many people working at your work, right? Uh, and so it's this picture out of touch with reality. Well, I want to tell you that that wealth that anyone would get uh, is from God. It's from God. But I want to say it this way. It's only half of the blessing, and it's missing a key part of it. it it's like if uh, God would give, and, and this is true, that this is kind of the picture of it, that he gives a treasure chest of wealth. He, he gives a treasure chest of possessions. He gives a treasure chest of honor and position. He gives it, and he says, I give this to you, but I don't give you the key. You can't unlock it. You, can't, you can have it, but you can't unlock it. What a picture, right? What a picture of what this life is, and it's wealth without God. It says that he lacks nothing, sort of, right? He's got it all. He lacks nothing of all he desires, and then it says, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. You look at that and you, you, you get this picture that, it, that they have it all. They have all the desires, all that their, their eyes desire, that, that sometimes we even get that. And we're still not happy. Why? Because the blessing of getting is only half. And it's not the most important half either. Right? It, it's getting the treasure chest but not getting the key. 
It says he, he doesn't have the power to enjoy. And um, it, it, I think it's funny that he uses the word power because most, most of us think, well, loving life and enjoying good things, that's the easy part. That's the easy part. And yet uh, God tells us something very different. He says it needs the power of God, the power of God to enjoy. Um, so sometimes we wonder, we, we always, you know, it catches us off guard when a celebrity takes their life. Catches us off guard when we realize that powerful men, powerful women will go outside the bounds. They have everything they want, and yet they'll still break the law to get more. Or they'll uh, ruin their marriage. And do, you say, why? Why would they do this? It's very simple. That joy in this life is rare, is rare. And without the help of God, without the, not just help, but His power in your life, uh, you will be left wanting. You'll be left empty. You'll be left frustrated, if you will, saying, I got it all. Is there something else? Am I missing something? So you have wealth without God. Verse 2. Once again, he says, uh, uh, if you look down at God's word, and you should, always keep track of me, by the way, in the word of God, okay? Uh, who knows? Who knows if I'm saying the truth, right? And so we go back to the word of God. We keep it open, right? Uh, in, in verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 3, he says, this is vanity. It is a grievous evil. And then once again, he goes back to it, verse 3. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, he pictures first wealth without God, and then he pictures long, full life without God. Long, full life. Um, the picture here, you know, Solomon was one of these men. He was one of these men that uh, had, had many wives, many children, and this idea of being able to uh, have a lot of children, it reflects on you. Some of you uh, know this right now, that, that uh, your children reflect you. And, and if they do something good out in the world, uh, there's, a, there's a sense of pride that comes to you. They're, they're magnifying your uh, life because they're out there. Uh, that's why parents are proud of their kids. Is be, you know, uh, they want their kid to be front and center. They want them winning the award, being on the principal's list, hitting the home run, uh, being the fastest runner, being the best looking. We all, you know, being, winning the pageant, okay? Uh, because we somehow think that reflects on us. And it might. Uh, and so in this passage, he pictures long, full life, and he says, uh, if a man fathers a hundred children... Most of us freak out at that uh, picture, don't we, right? Yeah, 100 children, and we're starting to think, how many bathrooms is that? Uh, you know, do we have to pay for the weddings, too? And uh, Sorry, we got to pay, you know, weddings and stuff is on my mind. Uh, but uh, we look at this, and we go, uh, what would that be like? But if you had all the money, if you had all the wealth and possessions, you would want to say, hey, there's got to be something more to this. Maybe it's having children. By the way, I'll say this, there's great riches 
in children. They're not financial. In fact, it's quite the opposite, right? Those little kids cost money every time they sneeze, right? You know, and, and when, when they sneeze, you just go, oh, man, I got to buy a new Tonka truck or I need to take them for that copay at the doctor because they, you know, sniffling at this, sniffling at that. Uh, that doesn't quit, does it? They continue to. But this, this picture, there's great wealth in children, and yet I want to tell you, it's not the, the answer to your, the problem of your soul. And as we go through life, there's a tendency to say this. Well, got to graduate from high school. So, you know, I'm, I'm pointing to that day of graduation. And, uh, you know, and I always don't don't say this to young people. Do not say this. Some older folks say, you know, high school was the best days of my life. Don't say that to a senior. You know why? Because it's over. Because it's over. And, and this picture of like, and what you're saying, you're really reflecting more on your pathetic life than you are on theirs, right? Uh, and, and, and this picture, so, so you get to your senior year and you say, well, I got to go pursue something. I got to pursue wealth. I got to pursue getting stuff. And oh, I'm still not happy. Maybe I should get married and have kids. I want to tell you, if you're empty before, guess what? You'll be empty after. There's not something you can add. A long, full life without God. Once again, it's a grievous evil. It's, it's pressure on our lives. If a man fathers a hundred children, lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. In the last couple of years, um, I knew a couple who were struggling. In fact, I, I talked to them right by the sound booth. They're not over there right now. Don't look at it. Over, it's not people who sit in those that last two back rows. Those are good folks over there. Um, but a couple came in, and I knew they were struggling. And I, I caught them there as I was milling around during the singing. And I, I, I said, how are you guys doing? We're praying for you. And immediately, some of the, the anxious thoughts of life were coming out and I said, yeah, but God's been good to you, and he's been good to you. And they say, yeah, and they quickly move on to the things. But yeah, but, you know, we're struggling in this and that. And I said, my prayer for you, my prayer for you, is you'll be able to see the Lord's blessings on your life. Because it seems like right now, and, and that you would be able to see those blessings as bigger than any trials that you're going through. You know, that, that's the key, right? That the, the trials and the things of this life that are dragging us down, that they would seem small in comparison to what God has blessed us with. And uh, I want to tell you, that's our struggle. Because a long and full life without God is empty. A hundred children, many years. But by the way, um, what does a happy family look like? What does a happy family look like? In generations past, it was, you know, the, the Nelsons, right? The Nelsons. Beaver Cleaver, you know, uh, uh, different families that you saw on TV. You, you saw who they were. And, and I, I want to break something to you. 
When you see a family on TV, they're not really a family. They're actors and actresses. And when they don't look happy enough, you know what they say? Do it again. Do it again. Uh, you, you know those pictures I, I taught, told you about earlier on Kaiser Permanente and Aetna and the various other insurance companies? You know, th those people don't even really know each other, right? They're, they're models. And they only look happy for the second the picture. You know, this is that family picture thing that's going on. Act like you love each other, right? And then we, boom, we get the picture. And then we say, "Isn't remember when we liked each other? Remember that second that we liked each other for the picture? I want to tell you, a happy family, that's the problem with looking at family pictures, pictures that people would post online. You know which family pictures they post? The ones they like. The ones they're not looking weird. The ones they're not looking grouchy. Why? Because they're trying to give a picture of a happy family. I want to tell you, when you see a child with straight A's, you know what that means? It means they got straight A's. That's all it means. It doesn't mean if they're happy. It doesn't mean that they're satisfied. It doesn't mean that they're a, a good boy or a good girl. It just means that they got straight A's. If a family goes on vacation, and once again, they take pictures of the vacation, they go to fun places, they go to Santa Barbara for the weekend. It's never been that glamorous for me for some reason. I don't know. Uh, or they go to Hawaii, or they go to Mammoth skiing, or they uh, go to Europe, and they take a picture in front of some old castle or whatever, and they smile for the picture. What does that mean? It means they were in a place and they smiled for a picture. I'm not saying they weren't happy. I'm just saying, I don't assume they are. There's, or you could you know, comment. You could say, um, I can assume by this picture that everything was great. Because it looks like you were having a great time. You may not, you know, there's all these disclaimers. You may or may not have been having a good time. Uh, uh, when we see people, you, you know, when you, when you see a model wearing clothing from a store and they're beautiful, in our minds, most of the time we think, oh, this is a great person. This is a great person. They're beautiful. These clothes are beautiful. I need to buy these clothes so I will be happy and fulfilled and beautiful like this model. Have you met many models? Are they happy? Are they people that you want to model your life after? Think about it. Hundred children, many years. Yet his soul is unsatisfied. And what is it unsatisfied with? And this is so, uh, it doesn't seem right to us. Look at that line in the middle of verse 3. It says, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. It doesn't seem right. It's not a good sentence. It's not, it, the words don't go together, right? Not satisfied equals good things. 
Most of the time, it's a real simple math problem in our mind. If I get enough good things, I will be satisfied. God's word says no. God's word says no. There's still something missing. And I would just say long, full life without God. In fact, he uh, gives to us a graphic, um, even hard to say, picture of that man who's not satisfied with his hundreds of kids of his long, healthy, happy life. It says a stillborn's life is better. And many of you ladies and men, you, you know the, the pain of that. You know the pain of a stillborn child, the, the hope of a child that is to come, and then uh, this idea, that the anticipation of life and the excitement of life, and then they're born without life. And, and we always say, oh, what a shame. We always say, oh, it's so sad and it grieves our hearts and the loss of life. And God uses that as an example of the one who has many children, who lives a long, full, healthy life. And he says a stillborn is better if they're unable, they're unable to uh, enjoy life's good gifts. And he connects it, he says, for, uh, for it comes in vanity, the, the stillborn child, and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. He, he gets this picture that uh, a stillborn child, and I think this is one of the, uh, the comforts for the loss of a child, is they did not have to experience the emptiness, the empty pursuits of this life. They never had to chase after things and get them and then go, oh, they weren't worth chasing after. Uh, they, they never had to feel that struggle. They never had to experience that under the sun. He reiterates it in verse 6. He says, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, he goes to the ridiculous extreme, yet enjoy no good. And he says, do not all go to the one place. And he pictures the end of one's life of one who's never enjoyed, who's lived a long, full life, who's had children and wealth and possessions and honor and everything we can imagine. And they get to the end of their life and they realize their long life, they've lived longer than anybody, longer than anybody should. And they get to their end of their life and there's still a place of emptiness that they share that they share that same place with the stillborn child. Long life without God. And then uh, lastly, to be full without God. Full without God. Verse 7. All the toil of a man is, is for his mouth, um, yet his appetite is not satisfied. You picture... Uh, the man being driven by his appetites and most likely starting with food and other things as well. And this idea of ambition that says, I'm going to go and to get. And the, the man gets, the, the man gets, he, he's driven by his appetite, but he's not satisfied. He says, for what advantage has a wise man over a fool? We connect the wise man and the fool, and we're going to talk about this in the next weeks. Uh, 
this idea of wisdom and foolishness. And we would say to about the one who's not working, who has no ambition, he's a fool. He's a fool because he's driven by nothing. You know, nothing gets him out of bed in the morning. Nothing gets him off the couch. Nothing gets him to put the work boots on to go and to make. But we say of the one who is wise, we say he is the one who's driven. He, he does things. He get, makes things happen. Driven by his hunger. Yet his appetite is not satisfied. And so he talks about the, the one who is a poor man who knows how to conduct himself before the living. Verse 9, uh, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of appetite. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. He, he pictures the appetite causing us to go, I want this, I want this, I want this. And this is part of what our, our life is about, right? What do I feel like? What do I want to eat? If you don't, uh, that's why they put pictures in menus, right? I always love those pictures, man. I look at those things and there's this beautiful, you know, you go to Denny's and you open those, those things up and everything looks so good, right? And it helps you decide and, and you go, oh, I'm drawn to the picture. And most of us, it's, oh, I'll have this. And then you turn the page, no, 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 I'll have this. And then we have food envy when it comes out and somebody else's looks better than ours. And we're driven, like we're, we're wanting and we're wandering this picture of appetite. And once again, he uses a phrase that he is describing of life under the sun over and over again. He says, this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Striving after wind. Uh, that striving after wind is a, is a funny picture. It's a funny picture. You never catch wind. You, know, you never grab it. You never hold it in your hand. There's not a sense of satisfaction to it. You, you don't reach the end, the finish line. You say, I got it. And it was worth it. There's an emptiness and an exhaustion. Uh, Pastor Brandon talks about uh, running a meaningless marathon. That's what it feels like. You've given your all, and yet you feel like it's for nothing. Toil for appetite, yet not satisfied. Full without God. Well, I, I realize that... Um, I want to tell you this. This is the great encouragement. I, I realize some people want to be, and, and I want to be, I want to be a joyful, positive preacher. Positive preacher. And it, I don't know if you caught my points this morning. Uh, the, the common words were, without God. It's haunting. By the way, the book of Ecclesiastes is haunting. If you listen to it, it's, it comes up over and over again. And you go, I, I get it, I get it, I get it. It comes up over and over again. And it, those words ring in your mind. Vanity of vanities, striving after the wind. It, it just rings in your mind. I want to tell you, the positive part of this is the warning. The positive part of this is the warning for you and for me. That we can smile as we leave here going, I got it. Without God, this isn't going to work very well. Without, I, I need to pursue the God who loves me so much. Let me give you three things uh, for us to remember, important things for us to remember. First one is this, without God, without God. Life without God. Uh, when, and it, it's very simple, and I hope it's not too simplistic, and I hope it doesn't feel like belittling, but um, 
when you find an emptiness in your life, in a section of your life, or in a moment, or a day, an hour, a season, whatever, you can say to yourself, am I trying to do this without God? Am I looking for satisfaction? In, in some, am I doing it without God? And, and you can even apply that to your family members and, and, and to try to encourage them. You know, uh, why is life so hard for you? You're trying to do this without the God who made you. Life without God will not work. You can point them to this passage and share with them about the treasure chest. God's given you things that are a blessing. He's he's granted these things to you, but without his blessing, you have no key to unlock them to find the joy that you're missing. Maybe a question for you to remember is, what do I need more of? What do I need more of? Do I need more tools? Do I need more stuff? Do I need more clothes? Do I need, what do I need more of? What do I need more of? And uh, there's a funny little song, and it was a dumb song to sing for kids because it, it gave the wrong message. Uh, I, I want more of Jesus, more and more and more. Can anyone sing this with me? Nobody knows this song. I'll, I'll, I'm almost ready to sing it by myself, but I won't. Uh, uh, but the thing that they would do is they'd act like it's a mower. I, I want more of Jesus, more and more and more. Uh, I'll stop there. But um, I want to tell you that the thing you need more of, of His life in yours, His life in yours, that you need to trust Him more. You, you need to think about Him more. You need to pray to Him more. And, and it's not a more in a sense of like, you need to do more and this and that. But when we leave sections of our life outside of the touch of a God who loves us so much that we want salvation for our souls, but don't touch my stuff, but don't touch my schedule, I want to tell you that the emptiness of this life, the joy that you're missing, is not because you don't have enough stuff. It's because your life is not filled in every nook and cranny the love of the Savior. Lastly, it's important to remember uh, you'll either have a full life of joy, full life of joy, or a full life of vanity and striving after the wind. Those are the two options. Everyone has a full life, but it's either a full life of joy that comes from God or a full life of vanity and striving after the wind. It's a simple choice, right? It's a, it's a simple, you know, you know which one's better. You know it. And so for us to pursue it and to allow God to be the one to bless us with the things that only He can bless us with. Please join with me in prayer. God, uh, Your Word is clear. Uh, we try to make it muddy. We, we, we try to even... Um, in some ways argue with you but 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 what about this but what about that god i pray that the the message for today uh, that life having blessing having fullness of life having the things that everybody wants without your blessing will leave us empty wanting god do your work in us help us to see the blessings of this life and enjoy the life that you have granted us 
And God, you've been so good. We thank you for all the, the blessings of this life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.